0: This is 40K Today, the 40K news show that loves every faction equally, except Tau.
1: No one loves Tau. Hello and welcome to a special Best of 40K Today. We are your daily dose of 40K news and we feature content creators from across the globe. We live 40K and we know you do too. Today we bring you a selection from our favorite interviews from this week. We have to say a massive thanks to our friends at Frontline Gaming for having us in on a Saturday. If you like what you hear, give us a listen during the week at 40ktoday.com, or you can find us via your favorite podcast player. I'm your host, John Damaris, and today on the program, we get a truly inspirational story about overcoming obstacles to enjoy the hobby. We get some great coaching advice from The Art of War, Uh, we have an amazing hobby tip, and we travel all the way to Poland to hear all about their scene. Our very own Steve Joel sits down with James, who lost his sight but still enjoys playing 40K. It's a super inspirational story.
0: James, thanks for joining us on 40K today. Really appreciate your time, man.
2: Thanks very much for having me on. I'm really thrilled to be here. I love the show.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Now, let's cut straight to the chase. You're blind, Yep. which leads me to a whole lot of questions as to how you manage to, I mean, I wear glasses and I find that hard enough with painting and Kit bashing and then pushing models around a table. So I want to get to all of that stuff in a second, but let's let's go back to the beginning of this. You refer in your in your blog and in your on your Facebook to a time when you were sighted before you were blind. Can you can you explain how you came to be blind in the first place?
2: I can. Um, I I've actually had diabetes since I was six years old, and um, it did a bit of damage when I was a kid. Um, I'm sure we all remember being a teenage boy and thinking we're absolutely indestructible. Um, I didn't look after myself particularly well for a few years. Um, And that had a knock-on effect. uh, So so by the age of 27, 28, I was starting to lose my sight. Um, So by Christmas 2005, it had completely gone. So since Christmas 2005, give or take a few days, I've had complete blackness, got absolutely no side whatsoever.
0: Okay, so and that obviously poses, look, any number of problems that I can't even begin to imagine, uh, just getting around, and even things like this we mentioned before, answering the phone when a Facebook Messenger call comes in, all of these things which provide a day to day challenge, but then bringing it back to the hobby that we all you know enjoy. How are you able to paint a model or or build a model? How do you do these things?
2: Uh, well, I don't actually paint the models myself. I've, um, I've got really good people that paint my models for me, but I do still be, build the models by feel. Right. I still play 40K. And I'll be honest with you, I when I first lost my sight, I had a break for a few years because I just didn't think I could do it. My head wasn't in the right place. You know, I was all over the place. I'm sure you can probably imagine. Yeah. Um, I was trying to get my life back on track and, you know, all of this, all of this stuff. Um, but eventually I really missed the hobby and, uh, I always loved like the law and I loved the modeling and painting. The, the painting side, particularly, I was always a, an avid painter and that's probably the thing I, I missed the most out of everything actually, right. yeah. even now. Um, and I just started picking up Space Marine parts out of my bits box, and just started doing a little bit of experimenting and gluing a few bits and pieces together. So we all know what's what the classic Space Marines are like. You've got a pair of legs, a torso front, a torso back, a backpack, a left arm, right arm, shoulder pads, and a head, and weapons. So yeah. you can do that by feel, and uh, you know, have a go yourself. You'll you'll find you can probably do it. It might be a little bit wibbly here and there. But you'll get the idea. And to be honest, I just built that skill back up again, just doing it by feel. Uh, And that's really how I started getting back into it.
0: That's amazing. Um,
2: And then I started playing again and stuff like that. And here we are now, what are we, 16 years on?
0: So, uh, again, I apologize if I'm asking technical questions because I think these are the things our listeners will be interested in and fascinated by. The Building by feel, okay, I get that, even though I probably need instructions to do most of my stuff because they come with things where you're like, this right arm has to go with that left arm and things like that. But, I, you know, I'll buy that, building by feel, and, and obviously that's a skill that over the years you build up so that you're not going to be horrendously slow, which I'm sure I would be if I gave it a go right now. But then when it comes to the tabletop and you're pushing models around, I feel like for me being able to see what's going on plays a big part. Do you have people describing the tabletop to you? Do you feel your way around it? How do you play?
2: Uh, I I kind of do, but okay, so what I do in a nutshell is uh, the guys that I play with in my little group, they're, they're great, you know, they're awesome guys and uh, we've got this ongoing understanding. I'll ask a question, look, I reckon that's, Six and a half inches away. I'm going to measure it. Can you just double check it with me? Right. And, you know, it's about 50 50. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes with everybody else. But again, you build it up a little bit, just like everybody does, just like every gamer does. Yeah. But I've always been really, really lucky because I've always had a very visual mind. I know that probably sounds a little bit weird, but I've always been able to imagine and map things in my head. Um, and that's a real benefit when it comes to tabletop gaming, of course. So um, I actually had a game uh, on Friday night and uh, we laid the table out. So what I do before we put any models down and deploy, I basically feel around the table. So I've got a rough idea where that building is in relation to that edge and so on and so forth. And then we deploy our models. And the first thing I say to my opponent is, okay, show me your troop dispositions and he'll, Grab. I, I, I literally, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous when I explain it like this, but I literally put my hand over the table with my finger pointing down. He grabs my wrist and goes, okay, so I've got 10 Necron Warriors there next to this building. I've got three Necron Destroyers behind this building. Uh, so there's no line of sight and so on and so forth. So that's how I do it. So deployment takes a little bit longer. Right. Um, and then once I've, I've got that picture in my head, so basically at the beginning beginning of each battle round, I'll basically say, okay, right, let's do an update so I know where you've moved your models to and stuff like that. And that's kind of how it works. So it's a little bit slower, but sure. of course, once you get used to it, it, it doesn't really impact on it too much.
0: Do, do you need any special gear to play the game?
2: Uh, the only things I really use that are any different to anybody else are um, I use tactile dice, so I haven't really got to rely on my opponents to read my dice for me, so right. I can literally rather than you know, feel the bumps on the dice. And obviously the opponent can see it as well. It's not like, you know, they're invisible to everybody else. Right. Um, um, I do use a tactile tape measure if I'm measuring sort of 24 inches plus, and that's exactly as it sounds. It's just a normal tape measure with a little pip, on each inch but other than that no not really um, just you know the map in my brain and uh, feel the models and the terrain really that's pretty much it
0: Now uh, do you classify yourself as a competitive player? Do you ever go to tournaments? Good grief no
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 um, Good grief <laughs> I, I, um, I did actually always want to but I never really got around to it when I could see and now to be honest with you all right, there might be some uh, some events that would, uh, you know, let me play, but I I wouldn't feel comfortable because I know that although I'm not ridiculously slow, I am slower than other right. people. Okay. Um, and and to be honest with you, there isn't uh, from purely from my side of things, I wouldn't want to burden other people's play by me imposing on that. So. And I'm perfectly fine with that. you know i'm I'm a casual player, I guess is the is the term yeah. that's used, isn't it? But um no, we're perfectly happy. You know, I mean, I love all elements of the hobby. It's not just the sticking models on the on the table and playing. You know I love building and building the models and one coming of the, up with the background of stuff and all that sort of stuff.
0: One of the great things is you get to hang out with your mates. I mean, that's one of the r- things we all love about the hobby the most is you get to enjoy just spending time with people you like and with whom you have something in common. Can I ask you, though, the the most important question? What army do you play?
2: Oh, which, which armies? Um, well, <laughs> I've, I've actually got back into my um, – I've, I've, I've been an avid Space Wolf player for well over 20 years. I knew I liked you
0: 25. for a reason, James. I knew we'd have some connection there.
2: Space Wars. This is is it. (laughs) So um, I've um, I've started getting back into them a lot more actually because they've been neglected really for the last sort of 18 months or so. But um, I've been really, really enjoying them. But the game I played on Friday, right up until the fifth round, I'd completely forgotten to do all of my Savage Fury (laughs) rolls. I couldn't believe it. Well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's <laughs> standard but, you know that's
0: not a blind thing that's all of us man that's just all the time. absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: but no I've got a, I've got Space walls. I've got my own Space Marine chapter called the Storm Dragons which are Salamander's uh, successes which of course are flavour of the month at the moment aren't they oh, so yeah really good um, I've got some Harlequins uh, elders Eldars Dracari Imperial Knights so I've got quite a few
0: listen mate it's it's inspiring to talk to you I, I think um the fact that you're able to build and sure get someone to paint, but build and play. Uh, and when you have so many people talking on Facebook about chasing the meta this and the best units that, bringing it back to just you know what, I enjoy the hobby. I like hanging out with guys, pushing models around a table, and just having some fun. That's what it's got to be all about. And and you Absolutely. are in that story. Yeah, you, you're yeah. able to do it, and you love it so much that you 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 do it now despite the, the challenges that you're presented with. It's inspiring, and I, I'm, I feel honored to talk to you. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Absolute pleasure, Steve. Thank you very much. I super admire James's spirit. All right. Next, we get a great tip about chasing the meta from the Art of Wars, John Lennon. All right. As always, we have our weekly coaching tip with the one and only John Lennon. John, how are you today? I'm
3: doing very well. Thank you for asking.
1: So, what Art of War coaching tip do you have for our listeners this week?
3: Absolutely. So, I'm going to talk today about kind of the pros and cons of switching to the new hotness versus staying at what you're comfortable with. As I'm sure you know, uh, we will be getting a new Space Marine Codex next month, and if you haven't already hit that Space Marine bandwagon, it's going to be tempting. But I do want to talk to the listeners about how it's not always the best choice to just switch to an army right off the bat and expect to have that same amount of success. So, uh something that I always talk about is you know familiarity with the army and knowing what to do when you're making decisions is a very underrated and it normally takes a lot of practice to get to that point. So if for example you're trying to play in a tournament in the month of October and you just want to pick up a space marine army that you've never played before and try to win you're probably not going to have as much success as you like. Uh, I know a lot of people switched right to space marines before LVO last year. And still went like three and three, four and two, which is probably the record that they might have gotten with their past army as well. Um, the how comfortable you are making decisions, how comfortable you are knowing your rules, and kind of knowing what your units are going to do makes a very big difference.
1: Uh, so All right, let's. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, let's break that down a little bit. So, mm-hmm. how many reps would you say on average does it take to get to be proficient with an army? And what I mean by proficient is. Make mostly good decisions. Understand how the army works. Maybe you know it probably takes a hundred games to really get an in depth knowledge of of an yeah. army, right? But um, there is a, a proficiency level where you can feel kind of comfortable. Before that, what do you think? Where do you think that threshold is?
3: So it's always going to depend from person to person. Uh, my personal rule is ten games. Where if I'm switching armies, you know, and now if I'm taking a tiered list that I've played ten times and I'm changing one unit, it's not going to take me ten games to be comfortable. But let's say I went from Genestore Cult to Space Marines, I would want to get at least 10 competitive games against players who I might play at a tournament to feel comfortable. Now, obviously, I'm not going to get any, you know, any practice against you know, my, my nine-year-old cousin who would start collecting Death Guard. But uh, you know, if you actually like, you know, talk to your friends, talk to clubmates, people at the local store, get games up in against competitive armies. And ideally, you're losing a couple of these games because you're going to learn more when you lose. Um, I I think that 10 games is kind of my benchmark where you want to you want to get the army in a good situation so that you know how to execute it when you're in the right spot. You want to be in a bad spot so that you understand what the army does to get out of it. Um, you know, I consider myself very proficient with white scars, but the first time I was in a bad spot with white scars, I played the game wrong and I lost. And I have played it better since then. Like you want to hit a couple different benchmarks, and if you can do that. In uh, you know, in three games, maybe you're you're good at learning an army, but I I would say ten games is my recommended minimum.
1: Okay, so a good way to look at that too is if you're like a standard casual player, right? You play Mm -hmm. once a week at weekly game night, and you go to an RTT on the weekend. All right. So if you or if you go to two or one RTT a month and play a weekly game night to get your ten games of competitive play, it's like two months. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, and I mean that's a good way for people to think about it. Mm -hmm. So, and I think where the where the math really comes in is if you're if you're going to switch armies, and you know you're going to get a lot of practice and a lot of games in. So, say you've got like a dedicated gaming group, and you play, you know, you travel to a GT every weekend, then it's probably more realistic to switch armies because you'll go through that learning curve faster and probably won't feel that frustration as much as you would if you spread that out over two months time, right. Where you might be better off just playing something that you have true muscle memory with. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, I agree. Um, so yeah, like, especially like kind of look at which tournaments you want to be the one that you have success at. So if you've got like an RTT, you know, that's a great place to get practice. And, you know, you get three games in, uh, they're probably all going to be against, you know, people who are, you know, they're showing up to a tournament They're they're bringing something that they think is decent. Like, those are great practice games, you know, playing once a week at the local club. Maybe if you're learning a new army, maybe you invite, you know, an extra friend over, you know, that week. Maybe maybe on a weekend where you don't have an RTT, you have two friends over, you play two games, you know, if you're being socially responsible, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. You know, if you're learning a new army, It's it, you could probably get it done in a month uh, if you're putting the time in to learn the new army a little more than normal. Um, just, you know, have two game nights a week for for two weeks and maybe you get eight games and that's probably enough you know, eight games or nine games before you go to the big tournament. But I wouldn't just, you know, buy a new army, rush paint it in a week, and then play one game against your buddy on Friday night and the tournament starts Saturday morning. That is, you're setting yourself up for failure and then you're going to be disappointed in the army. And that, that's a bad place to be in because you just invested a lot of money in it probably, unless you already had a fully optimized Primera space Spaceman list lying around. Uh, some of us do. Um, but if so, you, you've probably already played it. You're probably not switching to it now.
1: Makes total sense. And I guess I guess that's really what this lesson comes down to, right? Which is setting a realistic expectation based on the amount of time that you play. Chasing the meta is fine. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to go build a Salamander's army because you see that they're winning 74% of their games right now, um, just make sure you get enough practice in before you make a judgment as to whether or not the army is good, right? So... Uh, and the other the only other the other flip side of that coin is if you want to get mastering an army, there is an advantage to playing a list a hundred plus times because you start really getting the nuance and the depth and start making even better decisions. and you can kind of squeeze out. I mean, it's a law of diminishing returns. You don't get as much invested for your time, but it allows you to maybe get a little higher than you would normally. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, now, it, again, if you're going to a tournament with the expectation of setting up for a future tournament, so like, let's say you've got a, a grand tournament next month, and you really wanted to do well at LVO, but you've got a grand tournament next month, if you're willing to accept like, hey, I'm going to switch to a new army, and maybe I won't do much better, you know, next month, but I'll be better in February. As long as you know that expectation for yourself, you'll, you'll feel better about your results, and you'll learn more, honestly.
1: Absolutely. Okay, John, thank you so much. I think that's a great tip.
3: Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I always enjoy talking to you.
1: Count me in and the mastery is better than chasing camp uh, for most of us normal people.
4: Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts, Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink.
1: Welcome back. Wondering how to get that color scheme just right for your army? Lucky for you, our own Tanya Gates sits down with Simon Elson and they let us know.
5: I'm here again with Simon Elson and he is going to give us a hobby tip today. You may remember Simon from a couple of weeks ago when we talked about his feature in White Dwarf where uh, he sort of got to explain the uh, workings behind his Sons of Horus army. But he's here to help us paint a little bit better. So thank you so much for being on the show, Simon. Yes,
6: thank you for having me again.
5: Yeah, and you have some tips to help us maybe get our armies done a little bit faster today. So why don't you uh, get us started?
6: Yeah, sure. That's the thing that um, when I do workshops with people, at conventions and stuff, I get asked a lot, uh, how can I get my army painted in a good quality um, faster? Because I think uh, every hobbyist out there, uh, me including, has a, a huge backlog of unpainted miniatures lying around.
5: Yep, I would say that's pretty accurate. My uh, pile of shame is ginormous. <laughs> yeah,
6: I think yeah, that's, that's, that's part of the fun of the hobby, I guess. Um <laughs> Yeah. And uh, the thing that I can tell is uh, you can uh, paint a lot quicker if you plan your army first. So what I mean by that is uh, usually when I have a new project, I have a vision in mind how I want the army to look. But I'm not quite sure how to uh, get it done in the colors, in the, in the color scheme, where to put the colors stuff like that. So um, what I usually do is, I take uh, a couple of test miniatures, um, usually in exactly the same pose. I use uh, um, uh, the easy-to-build Space Marines most of the time when I plan a new legion, And I build them the same way, like four to five miniatures. And then I start experimenting on uh, certain things that I have in mind. Uh, let's say if I have a, uh, I usually, I'm uh, right now doing a, a word bearers army or I'm planning to do a word bearers army. And uh, before I'm going into mass producing, all that stuff, I uh, sat down and I painted five word bearers in slightly different tones. I first started with um, like a 100% contrast color over a silver primer. And then I decided, well, that is too dark. Then mm-hmm. I um, did another miniature, same undercoat, but I uh, took the color and thinned it down with medium 50%. Then I decided, well, that's too bright. And then after the third or the fourth uh, time, I had the right mixture. And then I started to think about where to put like uh, enhancement colors, uh, Secondary and tertiary colors and uh, I do that as long as I'm satisfied with one miniature so that I have one Template I guess you can call it a miniature template that I can always refer to I also write down each step that I took to get there and um, When I have this template done, I can start mass producing and I um, From there on, I uh, can always go back to the templates and I don't have to worry so much and to think about uh, where do I put this color now and stuff like that. So um, I have made any decision for the whole army in the test phase. And from that point forward, I can just uh, like paint away, I guess.
5: Yeah, I I actually do something very similar, and I keep like a journal. Um, along the way, but now. people don't realize how much time the decision making process can actually eat up of your painting time. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so that's actually a really great tip. But is there any reason why you use the easy to build minis? Is it just because they're plentiful, or is there some other reason?
6: Yeah, the the easy to build stuff is pretty cheap. -hmm. And um I want the template to be the exact same miniature. So if I want a standard space marine that holds this weapon in the same place and has its purity seal on the same spot and stuff like that, uh the easy-to-build stuff is pretty much um it it's easy build accessible and it's exact the same pose. So when I have like five to 10 different test pieces and they have all exactly the same pose. I can compare them pretty good.
5: That makes total sense. Um, I think that this has been a really great hobby tip and I see the value in it. And um, we'll make sure to put links to all of your social media as well so people can see what this process looks like in action. Thank you so much for being on the show, Simon.
6: Yeah, thank you very much. That was a
1: great tip. Okay. One of the best parts of doing this podcast is getting to talk to people from around the world. I got to sit down with Tomas and Mikhail from the Contact Loss podcast to talk all about the 40K scene in Poland. All right, 40K Today listeners, we have a very special treat. We've got Tomas and Mikhail both joining us all the way from Poland. They heard our interviews with the Russian folks that we had on, and they thought, you know what? We should talk about Poland, and I'm I'm super excited about it, and I'm really hoping that this opens the gateway for other countries to reach out and be like, "Hey, we want to talk. We want to come. Uh, let it, let all of you guys know all about all about us too." So, welcome to the program. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your podcast that you guys are doing, and then we'll talk about what's going on in Poland.
7: So, yeah, hi, hi, everyone. It's really nice to be here. Uh, I'm Tomasz, also known as Tweak, and I'm joined here by Michał, also known as Joker.
8: Yeah, hello everyone, and thanks, John, for having us.
7: So basically, we figured out that if John uh, invites people from other countries, why not invite someone from Poland? Um, As you probably know, Polish scene and Polish meta is quite strong. We have our Polish national team going to the European championships or European team championships every single year, usually um, placing somewhere in the top three. So, yeah, we created a podcast because we thought that it's a niche, that. You don't really get to hear a lot about Polish players, Polish meta, um, Polish preparations for the ETC, etc. So we thought, okay, let's do something like that. Let's, you know, we can speak English, uh, and hopefully, we can make it interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think the great part that which you were sort of pointing out before we started this was we're all playing the same game now, right? So we can have like a lot more fruitful conversations because, you know, in the past, ITC. And WTC slash ETC formats were so different that the lists really didn't translate and the, the strategies didn't really translate. I mean, 40K is 40K, don't get me wrong, but you couldn't do a very good direct comparison. And now we all live in the same world, which is pretty cool.
8: Yeah. With the situation in the new edition, it's, it's really become an opportunity for us to attack this Western world and uh, Western 40K.
7: Yeah, that sounded ominous. <laughs> yeah, come get us.
1: <laughs> come get us we deserve it so let's let's talk about Poland specifically. you guys do some really cool stuff um how do you guys select your e t c team? You said that was quite a process, right
7: i mean yeah it's it's quite systemic, I would say because uh normally you have a bunch of uh tournaments throughout the year that you have to attend um we You call them RTTs and GTs. We call them locals and masters, but they're pretty much the same thing. And uh, the qualification, whether it's uh, in, uh, you know a local um, competition or a master competition, depends on the amount of players that participate. These are usually announced somewhere around the beginning of the year. So each city that wants to organize uh, a tournament has uh, at least one or maybe sometimes two coordinators and they represent the city um in the national league so they you know they they, they announce when they would like to organize a tournament and then uh, a calendar is built so that players can plan a year up front where they want to go and what is going to happen when and then points from those tournaments are accumulated in the league so uh, on top of that there are there are like local leagues that you can play and you get points for that as well and at the end of the year those points are summed up and you have you know the roster in the league and uh, the the rules say that the players from the top 3 can be can become part of the national team so it's really motivating for people to actually go to those tournaments to play regularly uh because at the end of the day uh they could be selected as uh of the national team and go to the etc and the esc top three actually
8: and sorry I think that's, for jumping in just ahead, just so uh clarify a bit the top three gets selected automatically and then the other five players are picked by uh let's say team managers that we had uh, uh we vote and pick uh yeah by a vote from all the uh, coordinators, let's say, so people who are running the communities and let's say biggest c- cities, and um, yeah, that's so that's how eight players are picked for the team.
1: Cool. So then you guys have you just you said something I want to focus on a little bit and, and kind of just bypass. You just said national league. I think that's really cool. So you guys got a, a nationwide league where you keep track of points, which is separate. But it's it reminds me of the ITC, which is like a circuit, right? We would call that a circuit. Um, and so I'd like to have you guys back sometime to talk about some of the people on the top of your leaderboard. <laughs> I think that would be really cool uh, to get to know some of the Polish players, that kind of thing. Um, why don't you tell us, like, what is 40K like in Poland? Is it, I, and I will say just before we, before we get into that, you guys are savage gamers Because in War Machine and Hordes, which is the other world that I was in, uh, the Polish also were always top three in the hmm. WTC
7: right so the polish scene is i would say it's quite competitive um every year uh, the league if you look at the the roster there are probably around 300 players who um who appear in that league and the top 100 top 70 i would say are the ones that you can meet fairly regularly at tournaments um and the top the, the, you know the top 10 is very similar every single year but those are usually the players that have been playing for more than 10 years or something like that and everyone knows them everyone knows that they have incredible skill but what every single um for example when there is when there are captains of the national team when they get selected what they would do they would usually organize additional events all around the country they would travel the country and they would meet uh, people who aspire to be on the national team, and they would play with them. They would see whether there is, you know, potential, whether they are good material for, uh, for for candidates or you know to be part of the national team. Uh, so it's it's really motivating, and people really know each other well. And they so yeah, it, it's completely like a circuit, like you you described. It's just you know something local for Poland.
1: It sounds like you guys take. The national team very seriously which i think is really cool i think that's really really cool we
7: do because um if you think about it the all the major tournaments that take place um they follow the etc or the wtc rules pack so uh you know whenever uh there, there was any sort of tournament we would play the missions and we would play it the way that the national team does and also uh, the the crown jewel of what the competition play that you can have in Poland is something called the uh, uh, national team championships. This is an an event that happens one a year, and it's like the summary of the entire season, where also the awards for the league are are presented, etc. And this is a team tournament. So this is uh, you know the ETC is like an eight man tournament. It's really difficult to build an eight man team. Um, you know to have a tournament within the country with teams that are so big but the, the the national team tournament is five man teams uh and really this shows who is the best material for um for the national team
1: that's cool. How many teams do you guys typically have at those?
7: A uh, joker. Do you remember we organized this last year? Yeah. Uh, uh,
8: well, uh, before eighth, uh, it was somewhere around thirteen teams. But last year when we ran it, it was twenty six teams. I think it was one hundred thirty people that we had at the event. And
1: uh, wow, that's. That's a good size event because Poland is, you know, it's not a small country, but it's also not a, a super yeah, large country, 40K right? Yeah, and k isn't
8: so. that popular as well. So it's, uh, it's not that big a community. I mean, you usually know all the other people from other cities anyway. Uh, but a really cool thing about the National Team Championship is also that people who don't usually play competitively also like to come and, like, you know, just enjoy the atmosphere of wargaming, have fun, drink a beer. And play some games
7: yeah it's a proper holiday it's not just a competition it's actually a holiday it's usually a two-day event so last year when we organized it we organized it in a in a hotel where people could you know play during the day sleep uh, at night and there there was like an open bar so people could use it etc we had all sorts of sponsors from all around the country and from abroad uh, who you know provided awards and there was a really a lot of cool stuff to win uh, so, so yeah, so people, people are usually attracted by uh, the, the prizes, yeah, but mainly uh, by the possibility to just meet with one another, to have a drink with one another, and then to show some, some of their you know, competitive skills that they have.
1: And we even
8: had a team from Russia last year.
1: True. Very Cool. That's very cool. So it sounds to me, actually, like it's a very similar experience that it is here in the United States. I always like to say the first time you go to a, a tournament or an event is for the competition, and then all the rest of the times you go back to hang out with your friends. So it's like you make friends and it becomes that becomes the point, not necessarily winning.
8: Yeah, the after parties are the, <laughs> are the real event you go to. The
1: for some, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to come to give us a little bit of a glimpse of the, uh, the Polish scene. And what I'd like to do is have you guys back on here. Um, and we'll talk maybe around when you have the team tournament or some other events. And then if you'll send me a link to your podcast, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. You guys should check it out, at least if you want to get an idea of what's going on in Poland. I think that's, that's pretty cool.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you have time and if you want to check it out, and try uh, searching for Contact Lost either in, uh, on, on YouTube. I, we're now on Spotify, iTunes, and so on. So Contact Lost podcast. If you want to find out something more about the Polish meta, then uh, yeah, feel more than invited
1: to. Make sure you check out the Contact Lost podcast. It's in English, so there's no excuses. Okay, here it comes. It's time for Model of the Week.
0: It's the The model of the day the the model of the
1: day the the model of the day. day. Every day during our regular weekday show, we feature a model of the day, and we've been able to show off some stunning work this week. This week's model of the week is one you might have already seen. We got an absolutely stunning piece from Pinternado's Miniatures. This Space Marine Redemptor Draunaut is stunning with its deep shadows and bright highlights. The crisp paint job is chock full of details like shine effects on the gems and glow effects on the plasma. The base is lovely to take on the rivalry between the Thousand Suns and the Sons of Russ. If you have a model that we should feature on the show, or if you've seen a model that should be featured on the show, let us know with our hashtag on our Instagram, hashtag 40k, the two D-A-Y, or toss us a message to our Facebook. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed getting a peek at the fun stuff we did this week. A big thanks to our content producer, Alex Painter and our social media superstar, Tanya Gates, and our technical producer, Seamus Ronan, for all their hard work once again in putting this program together. If you liked what you heard on the show today, make sure you come check us out at 40ktoday.com or on your favorite podcast platform. We do a 15-minute show every day with the kind of information that was found in today's show. We'll see you next week. Until then for Paul Murphy and Steve Joel and the rest of the 40K Today team I'm John Damaris and that's what's happening with 40K Today